Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm the Managing Director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum and networking platform at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. SALT Talks are a digital interview series that we started in 2020 with leading investors, creators, and thinkers. And our goal on these SALT Talks, the same as our goal at our SALT Conference series, which is to provide a window into the mind of subject matter experts as well as provide a platform for big ideas that we think are shaping the future. And we're very excited today to welcome Juliet Scott Croxford to Salt Talks. Juliet currently serves as the Chief Executive Officer for media brand Worth, responsible for leading its transformation from print magazine to a content platform that focuses on worth beyond wealth and inspires and informs an affluent, influential, and successful community of individuals to be their best selves. Juliet began her career as a management consultant, learning to code at IBM Consulting Services before focusing on business strategy and organizational change. Working with clients to solve complex business problems across a variety of sectors through the use of technology. Her experience in this area took her to, the role, to a role at Boxwood, which is now part of KPMG, where she worked as a senior consultant in strategy and business change with a focus on the media and technology sector. After working as a consultant with Guardian News and Media on its print to digital strategy, in 2012, she was confirmed in a permanent role to lead strategy and operations for the Guardian Media Group's commercial division based in London. Juliet joined the Guardian's executive committee in 2015 and as chief delivery officer was responsible for the strategic implementation of the global three-year turnaround plan and subsequent transformation and growth for the Guardian's US operation and she relocated to the United States to New York in 2016. Hosting today's talk is Anthony Scaramucci, the founder and managing partner of Skybridge Capital, a global alternative investment firm. Anthony is also the chairman of SALT. And with that, I'll turn it over to Anthony for the interview. Well, thank you, John. And Juliet, what an introduction that was, right? That was pretty good. Did your mom write that? Did John read it the way your mom wrote it? Because I thought it was a fabulous introduction. It's, it's a bit long, isn't it? Thank you, John, for doing no, that. No, no, I like it. I like it. it is, I, I want people she's, to know. She's done a lot of stuff, Anthony. Well, I, I, want, I also want people, to know, I want people to know how accomplished she is and what a visionary she is. It's a good backdrop for the foundational aspects of the interview. So, but before we get into this, the, the uh, where you are now at Worth and what you're doing, what your vision is, I want you to talk a little bit more about your past. What can we learn about you, Juliet, that we wouldn't find on a Wikipedia page or something that John didn't describe to our listeners? Um, well, um, I, I guess professionally, I had the nickname Velvet Hammer. That was that was one that hasn't hasn't been out there before. But um, okay. that 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 was one of my uh, nicknames in my in my previous company. And, and this is because you have like a wonderful way of like smacking people around or what, what, is, what is it like you're I think it was like a good way of like graceful change. Graceful change, yes. You yeah. know, it's an elegant way that you or, can or, 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 or put it this way: get 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 shit done, but do it in a in, in a way yeah. that brings people so you, along with you. So you're better at firing people than George Clooney was in that movie where he traveled around the earth firing people. Is that what you're it was just firing people. It was it was it it it's. Uh, bringing people along on the journey that you need to take them okay, on. So I, I've, been, I've been fired more than once in my life. Well, one time I got fired from the White House. So you may not have known that. I mean, that's uh, 
you know, that was sort of a private firing. It wasn't really that substantially publicized. And then I got fired uh, 30 years ago, February 1st, 1991. So it'll be a, my 30th anniversary of being fired from Goldman Sachs. Uh, I was 27 years old, it was a brutal firing. Uh, then ridiculously, I got rehired into Goldman Sachs, separate story. So go ahead, I want you to fire me. Go ahead, give me the velvet hammer. Go ahead, I'm sitting here. Let's see if you can do it. Let's see if you can do it in a more nice way than John Kelly did when I was in the White House. So go ahead. Hi, hi, Juliet. Hi, Anthony. I'm not firing you on on our live broadcasts. We're not firing. Okay, so that's why you're the Velvet Hammer. See that you're gonna you're gonna go for the more subtle approach. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. No, but um, it, it's more in reference to I think being able to. Uh, Set a, set a goal and bring people along on that journey and 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 take a business on on that journey i think that that's that was more the reference to it but um yeah it's not necessarily firing people and then another thing that um i, I should mention is in like eight to nine weeks um i'm having a baby which not many people know about because we're suddenly in this virtual world and and unless you say something you don't know and we haven't got a name yet so maybe you can help me with that well i mean you're you know i guessed appropriately and correctly that you're having a boy so i'm hoping that anthony is at the top of the list but i mean yeah you know, we could we could work you know, on maybe that. the mooch the mo could you imagine calling the, the mooch Scott <laughs> Croxford? I know that would really go over well. Bit of a mouthful. Exactly. That would go over well in the Scott Croxford film. Okay, so so let's switch gears abruptly to Worth Magazine. And congratulations on baby number two. God bless you. And obviously we're here at Sky we're huge fans of yours and your family. We're wishing you nothing but health, great health and success. Thank but let's you. talk about Worth because... You have this storied career, you have an eye for things. Everything that you touch, frankly, has been transformed. You joined Worth because you saw something. You've gotten this thing that you've seen in your vision has been interrupted by the pandemic. So you're an entrepreneur, no whining, you're adapting and pivoting. So tell us that narrative. Tell us why you joined Worth, what you saw, what you see now, and where are things going? Yeah, and I think that there was a few things that I saw. Um, the first one, obviously, being our, our chairman and investor, Jim McCann, who, who you know. Yes. Um, Jim, Jim is a visionary uh, and has an incredible story. I know he's, he's been on, on, on these talks prior to that. So, I mean, for me, that was, a, that was clearly a, a, an attraction in that, you, you know, you work for people that you think you can learn and develop from. And um, so, so Jim, Jim was one of those people. Uh, coupled with, I think, the brand name worth, that really intrigued me just in terms of what's the meaning and what's the meaning of worth beyond your financial worth, uh, which I thought was quite relevant in the sort of society that we live in today, just thinking about like your social and human and, 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 and political capital as well as your human capital. Uh, and as well as your financial capital and then the other thing is I like a challenge so I think I saw a brand that had potential um, I quite like like a turnaround project or um, something that I can kind of see okay here are the challenges I've got some kind of understanding of where the media so, industry is heading no, and no, that's let's discuss the challenges openly because I think many people in media have similar challenges so here are the yeah. challenges. What are the challenges, Juliet? So, um, I mean, challenge number one was consumers 
changing their habits when it comes to consumption of media and consumption of, of reading. So you, you probably, well, maybe you're a bad example, but a lot of people stopped reading newspapers on a daily basis and they were using their iPhones or their iPads or their mobile devices to consume content. So that was one kind of change that, that media industries had to, had to get to grips with. The other was the, the impact on the advertising industry. So uh, the value of advertising in print was much higher than in digital. Uh, then when you shift to digital, there was then a massive, um, uh, massive introduction of like the tech platforms, Google, Facebook, they started hoovering up all the ad dollars. So 99 cents in every dollar goes to the big tech platforms. So the other media uh, entities are sort of scrabbling around for the rest. Um, and then a lot of media industries, particularly legacy ones, had a massively high cost base. So they were sort of under, under challenge around their products. They were under challenge around their, how they were making their revenue. And they were also challenged by the size of their cost base, which was obviously kind of built up. So, so anyone going through a transformation had to kind of think about all of those three things, I think. Okay, so, so to some people, some of that stuff, frankly, is insurmountable. You correctly assessed me for being the dinosaur that I actually am. So I read everything in hard print and I like to see where the editors put things in the newspapers. I'm always buying the uh, uh, Fred Flintstone newspaper as opposed to looking at it on the tablet. Uh, so uh, insurmountable challenge. I'm sorry, you're gonna say something. Yeah, but I, I, I didn't I didn't put you in that category because you're a dinosaur. You're you're a media junkie, I think. And so like you love consuming content, right? So look at the velvetness of this. That's very good. That's like a that's like a way of velvetizing something, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah that's very well said. So so and I'll take it as a compliment, even though I know that I'm a dinosaur, but I want to and I'm also male, pale and stale, which I want to talk to you about in a second. But let's Let's go to these challenges. Let's go to these challenges. So, how mm -hmm. do you overcome these challenges? And 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 again, some may see them as insurmountable in the media industry. You don't. Why not? I think. Um, look, I love change, and I and I I, I thrive on I thrive on that. I, I think um, a big part of them not being insurmountable is. The way you lead and the way you set your culture and approach to change so i think the media companies that have adapted really well are the ones that have stayed nimble a lot of them have shrunk which unfortunately has had impacts but i think it's i think a lot of people have recognized you couldn't you could no longer set a three or five or five year financial plan it's like okay let's be clear on where we want to get to in the next three years but actually let's break that down and think about what we're going to do quarter by quarter and the outcomes that we're seeing helping us get to our overarching goal. So a lot of it, I think, was about mindset and mentality and culture and approach to some of these things, which isn't too dissimilar to how an entrepreneur or a startup would approach something where, you know, you need to have that mindset of being a bit more scrappy, a bit more bootstrapped, but also the clarity and I think probably the conviction to say, okay, and, and the ambition of, right, this is what we're going to achieve and this is where we're going to go, but also be prepared to make difficult decisions along the way, which unfortunately is, you know, attacking your cost base as well. Okay, and so you're, you're doing that successfully, you got off to a strong start, then you got hit with the pandemic. And so how have you adapted and pivoted uh, during the time of COVID-19? Yeah, I, I mean, it's been really 
really tough. We, like a lot of businesses, we were, we, we transitioned from magazine to multi-channel platform. One of our highest growing channels was the live event space. Um, and obviously sort of come February, March last year, we had to flip um, everything we were doing to our digital platform. Thankfully, we had invested and built up a digital platform and we'd seen strong growth in our digital platform. So we now like about over 130,000 monthly unique visitors, which has, has grown significantly. And we knew that through this time, we still wanted to deepen the engagement and the relationship that we had with our community and grow it. So we were like, okay, well, let's move all of our programming online. And then let's really rethink the content that we're publishing so that it connects with the community that we are engaging. And that's what we did. So um, some, some things worked, some things didn't. Uh, we're definitely going into this year being a bit more pointed and focused on the things that we wanna continue. Um, but we essentially just picked up our live event program and, and flipped that to our online channel. And then at the same time, launched a couple of new revenue streams. So our Women and Worth membership was one. Um, we also done this books deal with a, with a book publisher, recognizing that a lot of our community want to publish uh, their work. Um, so we just sort of kind of, I would say, flipped into more of a mindset of experimentation and rather than be paralyzed by it. And I think that was probably one of the, the sort of benefits of yeah, and some, navigating through it. And I, and I think the point of everything, and correct me if I'm wrong, though, is that the challenges have also presented opportunities for you because you probably are now thinking way more outside your comfort zone in the box, so to speak, than you were prior, right? So totally. Give us, so give us one example where you say, okay, well, I wouldn't have thought of that, but for COVID-19 and it is leading me into a very positive revenue area. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the Women and in Worth initiative and platform is a great example of that. Like we had quite an established engaged community already. Um, we were thinking about subscription, but it flipped us into a membership model much quicker than we would have done otherwise. Um, it's also afforded us to, I think, connect and build a network with people we wouldn't have necessarily reached before. And, 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 and you may find the same. I think, you know, a lot of people are at home and, and are available. So uh, being able to reach out to certain speakers and writers has been great. Um, the book piece was interesting because we start, basically started a book club online, which was like, there's a load of people publishing their work, but they're not being able to do the touring that they would have been able to do when you launch a book. So we, we were like, well, we'll create something for you. And out of that came this, this strategic partnership that we've done with Forefront Books who distribute through Simon Schuster um, to enable um, people that want to be an author and publish their work uh, to do it on our platform so, right. so we can market it for them and they they can also get all of the distribution and all of that at the same time so there's some stuff like that which is like that wouldn't have come had we been continuing the way we were okay well i have a great book that i'm going to be writing and publishing how to beat up on blonde millennial co-hosts and so i'm going to publish that through you guys okay i've got i've been working on the manuscript um, every every day I'm going to follow you up with you after this. Okay, I'll follow up because it's going to be a good revenue source for you and I. Yeah. Um, I want to go to this statement that you made on a business leaders podcast. And you made a point about transitioning worth 
from pale, male, and stale. Now, there's one thing I can say about Jim McCann, who I've known for 30 years, okay? He is pale, male, and stale. I'm just gonna be honest with you, okay? But so am I, okay? So it's like it's like a black pot calling a black kettle black. So what did you mean by that? And how are you increasing diversity engagement in addition to the Power Forward Conference? So um, I meant by that the, the magazine, because, because essentially the product, the core product was a magazine um, and the diversity of our writers and our content um, and sort of what we stood for was, uh, you know, it, it, it was quite uh, stale. It, it, it didn't necessarily appeal to um, a cross-section of what I would term a successful influential audience. So um, one of the sort of early things that I recognized was actually the importance of expanding the breadth of what we cover, but also diversifying our audience. Um, and in order to do that, we established the Women and Worth community. So that was all around how do we activate and accelerate progress for women and minorities, whether it's access to the board, access to capital, access to investment, equity and pay, equal opportunities. And, and men are important in that conversation. So uh, that, that's the other thing I wanna say was, this isn't like a men are, we need advocates and we need more than allies in this conversation. And this is more, more than like, it's not just the right thing to do. We know that it's better for the bottom line. We know diversity, greater diversity of thought, greater diversity at the board level drives to better outcomes. So, so really that is the intention. And then, you know, unfortunately the impact on women over the past 12 months and the number of women leaving the workforce has been devastating. So um, it, it was really a recognition of here is a print product. We need to diversify how we're reaching our audience, but we also need to diversify our audience at the same time. And the way to do that is through, you know, who is in our team, who is writing our content um, and who is who is speaking on our platform. And that's been successful, though. I mean, I, I think it has. I mean, I get your, uh, you know, your email traffic. I get the availability of your presentations, but also the content that you're producing. And so now let me just fast forward a little bit of a hypothetical question. We're out of the pandemic and it's a year or two from now and you're setting your goals. Where is worth and what is worth doing? I, I, I'd like to think, uh, the, the other thing I just want to add to that male pale stale comment is the, the need for brands, including ourselves to emulate your target audience. And if we're trying to connect with a successful, socially conscious, affluent audience, actually, if you look at you know, the, the, the demographic in the US, that's changing significantly. So, so really it's a, if you're trying to reach this audience, then, then you need to emulate that yourself. So that's kind of the key thing. Fast forward a few years from now, um, I mean, I, I think, you know, we are, Really, we're striving to be a global media and event and content platform that has an incredibly engaged audience focused on the key topics that we speak to around worth beyond wealth. And I think there's a lot of opportunity to 
um, diversify and build out new franchises. I think the entrepreneur in, in um, the entrepreneur and founder space is very interesting and, and really sort of thinking about the wealth transition in this country over the next three, five, ten years. Um, so that for me is exciting. Um, I think we should explore e-commerce opportunities. I think we should explore um, physical products as well as content and, and events. Um, and I also think just kind of thinking about where does the event industry go from here is also another interesting one. I think it will move to a hybrid model. I'm not, I'm not convinced it will go back to where we were. So I think the use of technology with physical and, and, and how does that mesh together, I think is a very interesting space to be in. You, you uh, are from the United Kingdom. Yes. And how long have you lived in the United States? It will be five years in August. Okay, and so the first, I mean, you visited the United States, I'm making assumptions now, forgive me, but I'm assuming you visited the United States prior to that, but that was the first time you became a resident of the U.S. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So my, my, my grandfather was American, so I visited a lot as a kid. And then my role at The Guardian, I had a global role, so I came over to New York a lot on business. And then I came over on assignment in August of 2016 and then have lived here ever since. Okay, so I wanna make an, I wanna ask a question about your observation of the United States over the last five years is what? Um, it's interesting because I've just lived through the last four years of, of, uh, of, of the Trump administration um, I think it, it's still, it, it's, a, it's a country of, of opportunity, but I think it's also a country that requires um, a lot of unity. And I, I think now is the time to mobilize as a nation and not as separate parties around some real systemic issues. I think it, that there's a sort of slight identity crisis that, uh, the nation has has and, and has gone through, um, but I also think it's an incredible country that offers a lot of opportunity, which is one of the reasons why I'm here. Um, but tell, it's me, a, tell me about this identity crisis, if you don't mind. So, what is the identity crisis? I I think the interesting thing that we've seen over the past year. Take, take the first, first week of this year, for example, and what happened in the capital. There was a lot of people that said, this is not the America we know. And then there's a lot of conversations I was having in the background, which is like, actually it is. This is the America we know. And we have to acknowledge that. And we have to recognize that. And we have to see that in order to get to some of the core systemic issues that still manifest and that have built themselves up over over many years here uh, and the racial inequities included in order to move forward. Um, and I think there are, I mean, the, the COVID has obviously demonstrated the wealth disparities in this country. Uh, the leadership obviously has been incredibly challenged. Um, and so I think there's just like a number of things that have like come together in one go that I think for a lot of people are sort of 
doing quite a lot of soul searching and looking at, okay, who are we? What do we stand for? And what should we be going forward? That's a jumbled response, but I just think there's so many things. I think it's well said because, you know, I obviously lived here for 57 years, uh, less my uh, half a year in London. I would say that my identity crisis that I see is this is America that's transforming and there's a group of white Americans, if I'm going to be very candid, that don't really like the transformation and have decided that they are going to have this expiation of their uh, discontent with that transformation to be expressed in the ways that they're expressing it. That could either be in social media, that could be in protest movements, that could be, in a, frankly, an insurrection in the nation's capital. But you know, by and large, the country is moving towards trying to fix racial inequities that started several hundred years ago. And what you find in a country like this is that Anytime that black and brown people are advancing, there's some type of explosion in white America. And so that's just the fact. So I don't know how we're going to put that down over long periods of time, but we sort of need to if we're all going to go forward together and see each other as equals. So we'll have to see if we can we can do that, Juliet. But I'm super thrilled to have you here in the country and uh, doing all these great entrepreneurial things that you're doing. And I was just kidding about beating up on blonde millennials because I actually need the blonde millennial for ratings. You know what I mean? So we're not going to write that book that I was just teasing. About. I already already submitted the HR complaint, Anthony. So you're not going to you're not going to wiggle well, out of that. One. Well, Ju- Juliet, I'm sure you'll be amused by this and horrified by this, but I'll just let you know in front of our yeah. salt uh, cast viewers that I am the head of HR at Skybridge. Okay, I am the head. Of you doesn't capital. surprise me. Anthony. Okay, so so if there is a complaint, yes, of course. If there's a complaint or there's an issue or there's a slight born from political incorrectness, the complaints have to come to me. So look at that already in my inbox from the blonde millennial is a complaint that he was harassed here on the salt talk. It's horrifying. But with that, I want to transition over to John Darcy because uh, in order to keep our ratings going, we have to have these young, fresh faces, and so. Uh, uh, John, you have the floor. Okay, I'm All sure right. I missed. I'm sure I missed important things that need to be talked about. So I'm going to pass it over to you now. All right, fantastic. I appreciate it. I'm contractually obligated to get at least one third of the airtime on every episode. So thank you for meeting uh, my contract, Anthony. I appreciate. He was that. asking. He was asking for two thirds, Juliet. You know how these millennials are. Okay, but I push back hard. Go ahead. Can you Darcy. put the mic? Yes. Go ahead, Darcy. Absolutely. Well, we love working uh, with you guys at Worth, and I know we collaborated a lot on the 2019 SALT Conference and look forward to collaborating on future events uh, once those uh, become possible again. Hopefully in the latter part of of 2021, we have some announcements coming out on on hopefully our event schedule for the second half of the year. Just wanted to start off on that note. And, you know, as a thought leadership brand that's in in some ways similar to Worth, we've wrestled with the same issues. And, And one question I have for you is, how are you planning? I know you've made a transition. You helped with the Guardians transition to a more digital first operation, and you're helping Worth with that transition as well. But how do you continue to stay sort of at the forefront of innovation with platforms like TikTok and other ultra short form content? You know, what we think of as short form now, which might have been Facebook and Instagram a few years ago, now is condensed into 30 seconds. We had two of the top TikTok personalities on Salt Talks a couple of days ago, uh, Josh, Josh Richards and Griffin Johnson. 
How do you continue to stay at the forefront of that and communicate with a younger audience in a way that's native to them? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think I think the there's a sort of higher order question, which is like, how do you create experience? I mean, our partners are brands. How do you create experiences for brands that are valuable in an online world? Um, and then coupled with where is your community or where is your target audience and how are you going to reach them? Um, we're not currently on TikTok, but I, I would say I think it's a misnomer that it's all uh Gen Z's actually there's a lot of I actually think it's an incredibly influential platform and I have a a good friend that works there you know we are on other social channels and we do we do really look at the analytics of where our where our community comes from how do they find our content and what do they read and what do they then click through to um, and it's all of those insights that help inform for us, okay, what content do we produce next? Where should we find more of our audience? Um, and how do, we, how do we reach and engage them in, in, a, in a bigger way? So I think, I, I mean, I, I think it's difficult if your business model is solely reliant on those platforms, but if they are helping you find new audience, then I think, um, you should totally go with it. I mean, I'm just generally interested in tech platforms anyway. So um, right. I would just sort of be be on them and thinking about them in that way. Um, I think the other interesting thing, John, is the like, what what's the notion of like social interactions in a digital format? So not just kind of Zoom, but how do you really do business development? How do you really network and build relationships? And there's some interesting new platforms that we've sort of, played around with one is Sophia which is um, the founders have developed this through Harvard Innovation Lab and it's a really interesting platform to go in and it's based on proximity so you walk up to someone in a room or in a virtual bar and then you come on and you start talking to each other and then you move away and, and they go away and you meet someone else so I just think like that whole like 3D world of not only, you know, I think we're all missing face-to-face connections, but how do you create those in an online world is quite interesting. Yeah, I want to continue to talk about that because I'm interested in a lot of the same things. And as event organizers, I think we think about these things on a professional level as well. Uh, There's a platform Clubhouse, for example, that just got another big round of funding from Andreessen Horowitz, which again, they're trying to reimagine social interaction in a digital world Uh, and media in in a world where people are craving some level of social interaction uh, without being able to physically meet. Have you studied Clubhouse and and what do you make of that model of sort of drop-in podcasts and conversations in in a topical format? Yeah, I'm on it um, and I know a couple of the the investors fairly well. I think it's really interesting. I think it's an interesting model. Um, I think, I mean, right now it's audio only, right? So um, I, I think it'd be interesting to see where they go on the video side of things. Right. Um, it's very much community driven, but it's also kind of, I think, you know, very much born out of Silicon Valley as well. So you kind of get a certain certain group of people in a certain conversation, but I think it's an interesting innovation. And I think the, the growth of that community is impressive, like in, in the last 12 months. Um, I think it's just understanding. I mean, I'm not sure what the revenue model is yet um, for right. them because it's there's no advertising, there's no subscription. I imagine they'll go down a subscription route. I think 
Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, I, I mean, I've been on a couple of the conversations. I think for me, it's like that all of these platforms are vying for your time and we're all quite time poor. And I think also there's a right. huge fatigue as well, right? I mean, if you're on Zoom all day and then you're going on Clubhouse in the evening, I mean, I, 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 I don't necessarily have the, the time or the energy right. to do that all day, every day. Yeah, no, we felt that, you know, we, as we explored our sort of virtual event calendar for 2020, uh, we started just thinking about if we were in the shoes of members of our community, what do they have time for and what do they really want? You know, there's so many webinars and virtual events that are out there. So we tried to come up with a list of, of salt talks that really cut to the heart of certain issues and, and weren't just a, a time suck on people. I think it's hard in a digital format to get people to tune into a three-day conference you know, from nine to five, they would, the way they would engage at a salt conference uh, in the traditional sense, uh, in a way. But um, yeah, how do you, uh, how do you foster those social connections and interactions? Uh, Jim McCann, uh, your chairman, who's spoken on salt talks and been to our salt conferences, he talked about how there's just this, this innate human need for those social interactions uh, and connections. And so how do you think, you talked about the hybrid event format sort of taking over uh, post-COVID, where you have in-person gatherings that are also informed by the digital piece. What do you think those hybrid events uh, will look like in a way that'll be able to engage people that aren't there uh, in person? I, I think I think there'll be a lot more intimacy. Uh, I, I, I personally, I can see, you know, when physical events come back, uh, I can't quite see the massive large conferences in the way that we've had them before. Um, so I think the hybrid is a combination of more intimate connections with your sort of most loyal community uh, and people and then, you know, overlay that with with some of the stuff that we've been doing virtually, but also build on it. Um, I think what's interesting is like how you switch, how you swap business cards and like it really that that bit when you go to a conference and you come back with a stack of business cards and it's like what's the equivalent of that um but i, I mean I, I i think i think people are going to be really hungry for personal connection but i think it's going to take a while to kind of bounce back to the way that it was yeah. and i don't necessarily think it's going to be at the scale that we saw um, and I also just think on things like travel, I think we're going to see personal travel and family travel come back much quicker than business travel. Um, personally, I just think, you know, we've sort of demonstrated to an extent that we can be productive and do a lot of things at home. Yeah. And you took a whole generation of people. I mean, at Skybridge, we did some teleconferencing and video conferencing, but it, it wasn't a core part of our business operations. And now you have an entire workforce this extremely literate on teleconferencing and, and being able to foster those connections without having to yeah. jump on a plane. But we definitely agree that there's huge pent up demand for that in-person in interaction. I think almost uh, there was too many conferences pre-COVID. You know, we started the SALT conference, Anthony did, I wasn't at Skybridge at the time, in 2009. And there was, at that time, post-crisis, there was a dearth of conferences, but you've seen just an explosion in events. And I think uh, this COVID period sort of cleansed that that uh, overpopulation of events and, and people are going to be sort of wanting to get back in the groove uh, now that now that we haven't had those interpersonal interactions. See, but if, if John was around, Juliet, he would have started the pepper conference. You see that? And maybe we need to have some salt and pepper to make it more diverse. We're, we need a little spice, we're, Anthony. We're working. Yeah, we're little... working. Maybe I'll have the cayenne pepper conference. You never know. Okay, keep I going, like John. You're doing a good job, John. Keep going. Thank you. I, I appreciate it, HR director.
Um, so in terms of the audience for Worth, you guys serve a very affluent audience. I, I know it's traditionally your core demographic at Worth. What have you noticed about what that demographic of people is looking for today, whether it be in terms of lifestyle, whether it be in terms of solutions to meet their financial needs? What has the COVID-19 pandemic done for general preferences and values among uh, ultra high net worth individuals? Yeah, I think even pre, um, pre-COVID, we recognized that our audience had a hunger for not only sort of things, nice things to buy and how to spend their, their, their wealth, but it was about the higher order impact they could have on the community and on the world around them and their values. So we'd already, and that sort of reflected in our mission of Worth Beyond Wealth. So even pre-COVID, we recognize actually, we're not trying to just reach a wealthy audience, but a wealthy audience that's in, in tune with how to lead and live a life with purpose and how to use their wealth and success in positive ways and, and for the greater good. So that was kind of our like, thesis and then within that you know we know that things like health and innovation and well-being and uh, mental health are really important um, for this audience certainly over the last 12 months we saw a very um, a a very clear shift around um, giving strategies and the way that donors and philanthropists thought about um giving during this time um and i think you know we saw many philanthropists come together to help their community directly and and that realized that sort of expertise resided in their own sort of communities um and some of the sort of the the previous things as a foundation or as a philanthropist that they sort of set their sights on very quickly shifted to um, meeting the immediate needs and services that arise through the pandemic. So I think there was a definite shift in terms of things like giving and, 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 and the sort of philanthropic strategies that they were they were taking and also seeing a mindset shift in that in terms of, well, is it going to the places that really need it? Um, but then that said, on the flip side, we know, you know, luxury and, and nice things are still important. So we, we also recognise, you know, things like, how you travel now, it might be how you travel sustainably um, and what you buy and the things that you have in your home are all still really relevant. So I think we sort of tried to sort of um, really sort of broaden the content strategy to, to cover obviously things like wealth creation and business innovation, but then impact philanthropy, um, health, and some of these higher order questions as well as, well, how do you live your best life and how do you enjoy your best life? Yeah, uh, it's very well said. The World Economic Forum is calling it the great reset. And that's not just in terms of the way we think about investing, but also the way we think about our lives in general. So I think it's very well said. Uh, Julia, so thanks so much for joining John. us. Uh, sorry, say I was just gonna say, they're so intertwined as well. It's like, you know, yeah. we, there was a day when we used to talk about your business and your personal life. And it's just like, well, that's one thing. Well, that's, that's definitely out the window now as we try to find a room in our house. I have young kids as well. Try to find a room in our house where they're not going to break in uh, during our Zoom sessions. So uh, definitely no separating the two at this point. 
Anthony had an infamous appearance on what was it MSNBC Anthony where his his uh, handsome son James came in and bashed over the Santa Claus Anthony you're muted by the way uh, he came in and bashed over he, his, he uh, his Santa me. Claus. He muted me by accident. He karate chopped everything. Then he told I me I, Then he told me I shouldn't be working on a Saturday. He told me to stop working as he was pulling me out of the seat. So, you know, what are you going to do? It happens. But you know, here's, yeah. here, here, here's the thing. You have a uh, brilliant vision for your business. And uh, you don't need to hear compliments from us, but I'm going to just say something to you that... Uh, uh, I enjoy about your personality is you're willing to embrace change and also the itinerant risks that come with change. And I think that is super important for the young people that listen in on these salt talks that if you really want to advance, you've got to take the risks. You know, the rocket has to misfire or explode as it's leaving the launch pad. And then you got to go back to the drawing pad and make it better. And I think you've, been, you've demonstrated that throughout your whole career. So I'm really looking forward to the next iteration of worth. And I'm also looking forward to worth's involvement in salt. And, you know, I'm going to make a suggestion. Okay. And, you know, I would love to have you host a few of these things and you'll probably have to bring along the sidekick, John Darcy, but we would love to have you host a few salt talks and uh, uh, we, we can come up with a, a, a guest curation list that suits you. And perhaps it could be some of these power forward people. Just well. throw just throwing that out there. I, I love, think it's a great I, idea. I, yeah, I think it's a great idea. I love working with you guys. It's always an absolute pleasure to chat to you both. So um, I've got a couple of follow-ups now. I've got that and the book. Yeah. To, uh, come, I think, the book, I think the book could sell though, by, by the way, you know what I mean? Because yeah. there's a lot of hostility for middle-aged men towards millennials. And Juliet, I think, we could also use an HR like director. If you guys uh, have outsourced HR or anything like that at Worth, we could use that as well. <laughs> Something to think about, Julian. See that? Yeah. These are all these are brand new business lines for Worth Magazine. Thank you so thank much you. again for being such a great partner, and thank you for joining us on Salt. Likewise, thanks, guys. See you soon. And thank you, everyone, uh, for joining today's Salt Talk with Juliet Scott Croxford of Worth. Uh, just a reminder: if you missed any part of this episode or any of our previous episodes that you want to watch, you can access our entire archive of Salt Talks at salt.org backslash talks backslash archive and you can sign up to watch all of our upcoming talks live at salt.org backslash talks uh, please follow us on social media we're on linkedin instagram twitter and facebook and we stream some of these episodes on those social media outlets so if you forget to tune into our youtube channel uh, when each episode goes live you can potentially watch them on those outlets so please follow us there please tell your friends about salt talks we love growing our community the pandemic has given us a chance to reach an entirely new audience by having a, a digital series like Salt Talks. Uh, so we've been gratified by that and look forward to continuing to build our community. Uh, and on behalf of the entire Salt team, this is John Darcy signing off for today. We'll see you back here again tomorrow on Salt Talks.